three, two, one. My secretary at one point said, um, so Gina, you know, um, Dr. Drace from the CPSO called and he wants to speak to you. And I'm like, holy shit, what did I do? Like, they don't like, did he like... Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of UFT Medicine Faculty After Hours. We're very excited to welcome another amazing guest today who's a personal faculty favorite of ours and is colloquially known as the mother of the Peter Boyd Academy here at the University of Toronto. We'll be talking a little bit about our roles within the department as academy director, her clinical work, her amazing dogs, as well as our interests inside and outside of medicine. So come sit with us with another delicious cup of tea or coffee and enjoy another piping hot episode of the Faculty After Hours podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Nader Chaya. I'm VP of Student Affairs Senior on Metsoc. Hi everyone, my name is Danielle Lewis and I'm VP Student Engagement St. George Senior on Metsoc. And hey everyone, my name is Kenneth Williams. I'm the speaker of Metsoc. Well, first let's start by welcoming Dr. Eugenia Piliotis. Um, Dr. Piliotis is our amazing Academy Director for Peters Boyd Academy. She graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Biology and Psychology from McMaster University and completed her medical degree at the University of Western um, Ontario in 1997. She completed her residency in internal medicine specialized in hematology here in Toronto. Dr. Piliotis completed her fellowship in lymphoma at the Sunnybrook Odette Cancer Centre in 2003 and a Master's in Medical Education through OISE at the University of Toronto in 2004. In addition to being our Academy Director, she has worked with the oncology staff at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre since 2004 as part of the Hematology Site Group and is currently an Associate Professor at the University of Toronto. Dr. Piliotis is holding or has held numerous leadership positions. She is currently the Chair of the Royal College Hematology Specialty Committee, the Coordinator of the University of Toronto Department of Medicine collaboration with Adidas Adaba University in Ethiopia, Residency Program Director for the Adult Hematology Training Program, Medical Advisor for the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario. Without further ado, <laughs> Dr. Meliotis, <laughs> welcome and, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Nader. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, is going to be fun. For sure. We had quite a long list. Um, I think it's safe for us to say you're, you're quite busy in, uh, within the UFT Faculty of Medicine. It's uh, I, I've been I've been pretty lucky actually. I've had a lot of uh, really fun positions over the over the last good lord 15 years, I guess 16 years since I've been on faculty. So I've been it's been fun to be able to to do a lot of different things within the university and outside of it too. We're always happy to have you, Dr. P. Um, yeah, we're gonna start, Kenny. Yeah. Um, I was just going to go off that vein of just since we're talking about all your academic achievements and what you've been up to, could you give us a brief description of what you what your role is within the faculty? Um, yeah, so right now my main role is, uh, I mean, I'm always a teacher in, in my clinical life, but uh, my main role is the academy director for Peters Boyd. Um, uh, so most of the other stuff is a little bit on the side. So uh, my biggest job is really my PD students and my patients. So I'm kind of half That's and amazing. half, I guess. So. Yeah. And I, I definitely feel like you're our like my fellow students at PD definitely feel that you uh, take really good care of us, particularly since uh, <laughs> that you had those uh, meetings with us over the last couple of weeks. Those really were helpful in terms of just like connecting us back to the Peter Boyd Academy. It was really nice just to talk to you and as well as see our classmates as well. Uh, I'm glad it's uh, like, I, like I think I probably said to every group that it was partly quite selfish because I missed seeing everybody and just feeling you guys around the energy of having you, uh, you know, in the halls and uh, being able to just sort of casually chat. It was uh, getting very lonely. So it was partly for yeah. me as much as anything else. And am I correct to say that the, the third floor has started being renovated as well? Or it's has finished almost, being renovated? It's, oh, it's pretty, it's pretty much done. The third floor, well, it depends on which part. So the third floor of the, the actual lecture rooms 
are basically done. Just the IT stuff is uh, is uh, is left. Um, the offices are are now being done, and then the um, the lounges and the library is kind of almost done too. We're we're pretty good. Going to be pretty much done by March. Yeah. Or. I think I can speak for the rest of us that we're really excited to get back into the classroom and yeah. see you as well as all the other awesome admin staff. Yeah. Um, shout out to them. I, um, I was just wondering uh, if you could pre briefly discuss um, if there was anything that you'd like um, students to know about what the Academy does specifically and how it can help students, particularly during COVID and the next couple of months. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Academy structure obviously has came about quite a quite a long time ago, probably almost 30 years ago now. Uh, and it really was designed to give students a home so that they weren't in the midst of a, you know, 260 person classroom. And obviously it also started before there was such a switch to small group. Uh, I mean, there always was, but now that there's so much more small group uh, learning, um, but it really was to give them a home, um, to have a place that there's a smaller number of students connected with um, a smaller number of faculty and so that they had a, a more intimate environment. So that's that was kind of where the academy structure came from. Um, and I think it's done that job. I think all of our academies really have their own sort of flavor, but they all do have um, that family kind of feeling that this is your small group, you get to know the group that are in your academy a lot better than you may the rest of the students or at least have the opportunity to. And um, and I think we all have a different flavor. And I mean, I think obviously the PE is the best, but um, I do think that uh, all the academies really do have a, have a unique kind of flavor to them. Yeah, like I don't think this group is very not biased about um, how they think about PB is the best. Uh, we are still winning the so far the Academy Challenge this year. So even with the online curriculum, we're still showing our pride in that way. Lovely. Um, that was that's we, my only goal yeah, every year is that we win. Yes. Yes. If we that's ever lose, I that. like it's just it's it's a actually it was kind of funny because the Academy director before me, she you know she did all of this stuff. That is Dr. Cooper, Marianne Cooper. She's like, all of these things, and here's this, and here's this. And then she said, by the way, all I ask of you is you don't lose the cup. So it was like, before me, it was a thing, so. It's it's really like, uh, I always make this analogy to uh, Harry Potter and uh, Gryffindor. Um, it always seems like uh, PB is Gryffindor in many ways, um, in terms of our spirit and everything, but also the, our ability to uh, keep on the Academy Cup. Uh, Academy Cup each year so uh, that's what I always think about. I like it. Uh, I have one last question for you and then I'll hand it over to Danielle. Uh, in terms of your faculty and clinical work what do you think is the best aspect of that kind of work and what is the toughest? About my academic work? And clinical. And my clinical since work. Since you mentioned. Okay. Yeah. Um, well my academic work I think the really great like the, the really great thing about um, the academy director role is that we sort of, there's a few great things. We First of all, we have our hands in everything. So we kind of, you know, we, are, we, have, we know about pre-clerkship and clerkship and transitions and mentorship. So we get to do a lot of different things um, while still sort of being at the executive level at the, at the program so that we know all of the um, higher level stuff that's going on as well. And we're sort of involved in implementation of everything. And yet we still get to have a very intimate relationship with, this, with our students, which is something that kind of gets lost as you move along in leadership roles. It, it, you sort of tend to get farther and farther away from your learners, which uh, is something that is one thing that I really love about this position that uh, if anything I've gotten closer to my learners in this position than some of my previous ones it's really uh, really quite fun um, as far as my clinical work um, you know I'm, I'm a malignant oncologist malignant hematologist so um, that kind of can get heavy at times but uh, 
my sort of description of my clinical world is that there's lots of highs and lots of lows and uh and both of them are you learn from and you do uh it, it fuels you both both sides of the spectrum of of the clinical world so maybe a little uh cryptic i guess but uh i think i think it's it's a uh, it's a lot of variety in my clinical world uh, again uh both cases and patients and good and bad and curable and not curable so i get to uh no day is no day is the same that's for sure i could say someone who had a lovely opportunity to shadow um dr Creep right. pre covid era um she right. oh my uh, god that was so <laughs> long ago oh, i could yeah i remember it like it's yesterday but um, <laughs> but uh, it, it was truly a lovely experience folks in PB or even outside of PB if you guys have a chance to come down and, and shadow um Dr. Bay she's great especially like you see like truly like the highs and the lows like probably in one day we saw a few highs one or two lows and like everything in between so yeah. it really keeps you on your feet and and it's quite um it's quite an interesting uh, experience for sure I'm glad you liked it anyone's welcome eventually <laughs> Yeah, I think we're all definitely eager to get back in the clinical environment oh, hopefully goodness, yeah. whenever we can. <laughs> it will, it will, it will. Yeah. Yeah, I think we probably should have mentioned starting for the listeners who are listening, all of the interviewers are from PB. It's just disclosing that conflict of interest. <laughs> I was wondering how that happened. I I thought that maybe like this was the the PB interview gang and everybody else has their own gang just to make things a little bit more family like but this was just random I think okay. so even I better for me I'm not sure it. who decided but uh, I no I I I think when we were assigning spots we did try to get uh the in Medsoc members who were part of the different academies okay. with the different academies um and okay. it just so happened that a lot of PB members were on the podcast so we're all here and we're excited to be That's here That's great That's great yeah, so speaking of PB and PB events, the talk around town is that you have some amazing dogs that usually make <laughs> an appearance at the famous barbecues. Yeah. Um, and since that isn't happening this year, we were wondering if you could tell us a bit more about them. Sure, sure. Um, I, well, I, I am an official crazy dog lady. So all I can say is that I'm not the craziest dog lady in the park. That's my, my disclosure. Um, so we're on dog two and three. So I think all three of our dogs have made appearances along the years. Um, they're rescue mutts, they're big, goofy. Um, and uh, the last one I think was quite fresh at the last uh, barbecue and was a little skittish if I'm not mistaken. So, um, but yes, yeah, so we just, uh, I don't know how we ended up with two and then now we always have two and we're sort of uh always try and get um rescue animals and and uh the last one is here somewhere um the old lady is out on a walk but uh if you hear any whining in the background it's because my young dog who is like 80 pounds is whining because i'm not touching him or petting him or something like that so yeah, it's always so cute when we see pets in the Zoom calls now that we're all in our own home environments and things like that. And yeah. hopefully your dogs will make an appearance at the next uh, barbecue, hopefully this fall. They will. I hope so. Oh my goodness. That would be nice. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. And we were wondering for the listeners that aren't in PB, um, could you elaborate a bit more on this famous barbecue we're talking about and also how it started? Sure, famous. Oh my goodness. Um, well, the first year I was officially um, academy director was 2015. And I uh, started in the summer. And as the new students were coming on, um, I, I don't remember exactly because I had to convince my husband because he's the one who actually does the cooking. So somehow I managed to convince him that it would be not a big deal to have, you know, 60 some odd students in our backyard and uh it kind of came on because when i was a medical student at western i remember i had a couple of experiences of 
faculty having us having me with other students over for to their homes for dinner and it just made such an impact on me that sort of really I'm like coming to your house and and just getting to know you on a different level and uh, it just meant so much to me so then when I had the opportunity to um, do that for the incoming students I thought well let me just give this a try and then it seemed like I couldn't not do it anymore <laughs> so it just kept on going and going but actually a funny story is the first one I did I live very close to the university and um, around me is like all of the houses are flats and you know there's lots of students living around and it was you know I usually do it the weekend after uh, Labor Day weekend figured you know most people have sort of settled in and so it's kind of party town around here so there's still lots of you know yay back to school and whatnot and it was like a Sunday afternoon usually that I'm sitting out here with a whole bunch of students in the backyard and these guys from next door just kind of wandered over and they're like hi party and they walked in and they're like oh food and beer okay great and they started helping themselves and they're looking around and they're just you know trying to get to know people and then they see me and they're like wait a minute who's like mom is here this is just not right i'm like yeah i'm actually your neighbor welcome to some food grab a beer and then you know off you go that's fine but yeah so that's uh that was my funny party story but oh my gosh that's, that's hilarious yeah. they never yeah. wandered into our yard again somehow i don't know they didn't feel as welcome after that i think yeah no it was definitely a great experience for our year when we went because you're just kind of adapting to everything you don't know the academy too well yet so it's really nice to just feel so welcome straight off the bat which is why PB is the best, but. <laughs> I kind of thought, you know, it, it sort of evolved that way too, the timing of it, that I don't think there were so many like central events at the very beginning that it kind of timed itself in a way that it was kind of one of the first social events that was just for the Academy. And it, it, it wasn't planned that way, but it sort of worked out nicely that way. It did. And I think um, it was just like from the student's perspective, it was just, we were, we're really taken back by your your kindness to let us into your, to your home and um, you know have lunch and meet everyone and I think everyone's like oh my god and we talked to other academies they're like your academy director did what Real we're like yeah she's the greatest you didn't get the same experience and That's they're like no we're like oh. <laughs> all right don't get me in trouble with my colleagues That's not fair no well, yeah we'll, we'll change quickly um, the topic so okay, okay. so we talked about the yeah, dr p your clinical experience in your practice now outside of your clinical practice what really drives you what hobbies do you have and what do you like to do um i guess the hobbies wise probably you know hiking is the thing that uh sort of regenerates batteries and um you know and of course we take our crazy dogs and and so hiking is the majority of what we do on the side and we have a, a cottage up on uh, on the Bruce Peninsula, Peninsula. Like one of the reasons we went there was the Bruce Trail, and so a lot of it is getting to the cottage and sitting around the fireplace with a glass of wine and uh, hiking during the day. And yeah, much of my hobbies revolve around food and drink. Is a very uh, constant sort of yes driving force. Um, and uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but then, yeah, I would say that I would say the hiking is probably my biggest uh, thing on the side. Yeah. Uh, you have a couple avid hikers and campers on the call this uh, uh, this afternoon evening. Oh, really? Uh, speaking okay. of uh, speaking of uh, the Bruce Peninsula, what is your favorite hiking trail um, for uh, people who haven't been out there much oh, yeah? or? People that have explored a well, little bit. Well, there's like 800 kilometers of the Bruce Trail, but my favorite is probably the one around Tobermory. I think that area is just, uh, it's really beautiful. Kind of north of Lion's Head and up around and yeah. even further up into Tobermory. That's my favorite part. Yeah, that's a really pretty spot. I like, I have a personal soft spot for Lion's Head, um, but that whole region is gorgeous. Yeah, it really is. And it's just, it's, it's huge and we'll go out on like the perfect Sunday afternoon and you, you, you may bump into one or two other groups of hikers like it's just it's uh, it's kind of wild how 
how big it is and how expansive and it's kind of your backyard a little bit it's beautiful yeah so speaking of wild we were wondering what your wild adventure has been this can be hiking related this can yeah. be in or outside of clinical experiences um okay probably so the other thing that uh, my husband and I really love to do is travel um and so we're we keep on trap we keep on like planning our travel plans for whenever this is over and yet yeah and it's not quite as sufficient but uh probably the bi the biggest adventure we did is we did go to the Galapagos um one year so we were on a boat on this tiny little um it's kind of an old fishing schooner that had been flipped into a um, a small cruise ship like it only had like 10 cabins in it and we were on this boat for um, a week and uh, so we were snorkeling with you know sharks and sea lions coming up against you and hiking on the Galapagos and there was a whole lot of blue footed red footed and black faced boobies and I probably screwed up the last name but uh, yeah so it was kind of that was probably my biggest travel adventure for sure was was that uh was the was the Galapagos yeah yeah that sounds beautiful <laughs> I can only it was otherworldly it was it was it, like there was you, you'd be walking along and these animals just because there's not many people on these islands they're not really afraid of you and we're walking along the beach and there's all of these like um uh sea iguanas that are kind of on a lava beach they're black and and you're it's like a blanket of iguanas and they're huge and they're just like you know my beach go around like they don't even move they just they hiss at you occasionally but you sh they just sit there and stare at you and it's like you know you don't belong at my beach it's, it's quite an experience yeah do you think it's because they're just so used to being there by themselves or because there's like humans always there I think it's the opposite there's there's very very there's very small numbers um there's very few little villages on actually on the island so most of them are not inhabited and uh they've been very strict about numbers of people that go um actually step foot on islands over um like with tourism it's all very it's a national park it's very regulated so um they're very careful about that so i think it's more that there's just there aren't haven't been a lot of humans and that's probably more it yeah i think you raised a good point um on those islands there's a lot of kind of uncharted nature and there's like some really beautiful beautiful like mammals and birds and yeah. um you mentioned like the blue um the blue footed booby and and uh, if you look at them it's like we're talking like a neon blue if you folks it's haven't searched crazy. it it's crazy right and they're huge like they're they're the size of a chicken or something like a like they're really big birds and they're yeah it's crazy they're beautiful 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 um that was an amazing travel story but we're gonna slightly switch gears um and just, I wanted to ask if you had any advice that you'd give to your younger self. This could be uh, pre-med, during medical school, during residency, etc. cetera. Um, and what advice would you give to medical students now? Um, I think one of the things that I, you know, that you probably always hear us talking about is, um, you know, finding mentors and really, um, forging relationships in a lot of different ones with um, people that can help you um, not just understand what you're getting into as far as an academic career in my case or as far as a specialty but also how to navigate the world of being a physician it is there's a lot of things that um, I'm not sure everybody is prepared for as far as um, you know the the challenges of patients right they're wonderful and they they keep us going but they also can be very um draining um in good and bad ways um and so just you know how do you navigate life how do you navigate those uh intimate relationships with patients that really can be very um heart-wrenching and how do you you know where do you stay healthy and all of those things so i think I, I did manage to find good, really good mentors along the way, especially mentors that helped me with um, uh, my development as an academic physician. But um, 
kind of, they kind of happened by chance. Like, I don't think I really understood the importance of that part of your early career development. Um, and so um, I think that's something that I would probably be, would, would emphasize on uh, all of my junior learners that come through students and residents to sort of make sure that you um, pay attention to that, but also kind of use multiple people so that you actually have different perspectives um, on all of those facets of what it's like to be a physician. That one's kind of a, you know, everyone yeah. always says that one. Yeah. That is like, it's not, it's not a, I, I'd like to go back and say, you know, I should have done X, Y, and Z differently, yeah. but I kind of, I really don't think so. Like, I really feel, I look back and I feel pretty lucky about how things evolved in my career. And I definitely had a lot of um, great mentors who helped develop my career early on. And, you know, I, I really can't look back and say I should have done this or I should have done that. Um, so, and I don't know, did that sound arrogant? That sounded kind of arrogant, no. didn't it? No. Oh. no. I think that's I the think beauty of medicine. Like, uh, yeah. sorry, can I cut you off? But it's like, we all take different paths, but we all somehow find where we need to end yeah. up, relatively speaking, right? And I think that's the, it's the nice thing about medicine. There's so many paths into medicine and people, yeah. um, even ourselves, we sometimes get very narrowed and, and uh, pigeonholed into like, oh, we have to do this. Yeah. We have to have this many mentors, this many research papers. And it's like, not really. Um, it, yeah. You can find like water through a river finds its easiest way. Um, kind of same same thing here. Yeah. yeah, that would be another piece of advice is, you know, really look at opportunities that that present themselves because sometimes yeah. you, know, you really kind of think oh i don't have a like i'd have to rearrange and i'd have to do this and i'd have to do that and so so really kind of saying well, what opportunities just drop in your lap because i i probably yeah. had two that i did not ever plan for so one was the the, the college of physicians and surgeons so that was just completely out of, out of the blue um actually it was quite funny because at the at the time the the registrar was named Rocco Gerace and he was kind of like the registrar of my entire career because he had been there for so long and uh my secretary at one point said um so Gina you know um Dr. Gerace from the CPSO called and he wants to speak to you and I'm like holy shit what did I do like they don't like did he like how do they actually call like don't they have people that does like I actually had this little panic attack and they were just recruiting for for people that had an education phenotype, and uh, uh, and it was totally out of the blue. Somebody had mentioned my name, and I didn't know anything about it. And then I kind of went, "Well, hang on a second. This is completely different, and I've never really been in in regulation and all of that kind of stuff." And so I just sort of I jumped at it, and I learned the most during that um, that chunk of time, for sure, because it was just very different than what I was used to. So it was kind of one of those that just was very kind of veered left, and yet it, I think I learned the most. And then you guys, you guys totally fell in my lap. I had not really done undergrad for a long time, and I was like, well, maybe I'll try it and see, and, and I loved it. So that you guys were totally from the stars. So yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I. Go no, go for it, Danielle. Oh, I was just going to say, I think both pieces of advice are equally valuable. Like we do talk a lot about mentorship in medicine, um, but it's something to definitely be aware of as we move through our learning opportunities to always take advantage of like people that offer us help and advice that we can get. And then also just to keep open-minded about the future and not close any doors as you were saying with the opportunities that came your way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to add that, like everyone said, like everyone's advice is valid and it's your lived experience and there's no point making something up because you think that's what you should say. It's just, if that's what you experience and that's what you think is best, like yeah. just speak your truth as funny as that sounds. Um, but the other thing I was gonna say, like about the mentorship bit, at least for me, like I've found that uh, this semester has been really hard to stay motivated and like connected to the curriculum. And I think I mentioned it during our chat with my other ice uh, colleagues in our like uh, small that chats a, that you had with all the students yeah yeah it was a recurring theme uh, that sort of weird yeah. disconnection yeah and i think finding mentors is one way to address that in the sense that 
you can feed off their enthusiasm and their um, their experiences as to just remind you of why you decided down this very long road um, to go down this very long road of medicine and just connect you in um, back into it. Particularly since uh, we're at least the two T threes, the second years are entering their last 25% or uh, last quarter of pre-clerkship and we're about to jump into the uh, clerkship yeah. aspect of things. And it's important to like re-gather yourself and get back into it for the last little bit. So you're all ready to go. Yeah, get the fires going again, for sure. Exactly. It, I, it's impossible for those fires to not be dampened in this time. Like it's, yeah. it is, it's, it's impossible. So you do need to spark them again before you jump back into the hospitals. Yeah, for sure. And just switching gears again, um, this question's a little broad, so you can answer however you'd like. Um, what is something you would want students to know about you? Um, I guess probably the thing that I would want people to know is that um, I'm I'm kind of goofy and kind of like to have fun and I'm very much about having parties at my house in case anyone didn't notice and all it's just I mean I think my my uh need for social encounters is uh is a big part of uh what drives me personally so maybe that's it yeah that's a great answer and kind of a fun fact too which goes along with like the barbecues we were talking about and just like little things us as students have noticed uh that's good oh um Again, transitioning to a different point, um, you know, med school and, and medicine in general, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions around it. So what is one common misconception that students have about school, like medical school and medicine and also the faculty, you know, misconceptions around the faculty that you'd like to rectify and kind of address? Um, I guess, you know, I mean, both med school and uh, when you're out practicing can be very all-consuming and that uh, I think people think that there is not a lot of room for other things and I think that's not only not true but also quite a harmful um, mindset excuse me mindset both during med school and uh, and later on when you're practicing, um, so I think I think you have to just remember that you do have to compartmentalize things. That you do have to sort of turn off the doctor and be something else in other parts of your of your lives, um, and make sure that you have people around you that you know bring in different perspectives and different views and different and different interests and you know bring in the arty people in your lives and that kind of stuff i I think it's really that you're always on or something that you're all you always have to be this person this you know professional boring doctor (laughs) i don't know um so maybe i think that that's that may be an outside perspective that i would like to see not uh not be not be thought of that way so i i think that's some really good advice particularly like in toronto i feel like particularly everyone's so gung-ho on like getting doing initiatives doing something else with their free time and think your schedule just gets super filled um and i think it's really important that faculty really enforce the fact that medicine like even when you're in medicine you have the ability to explore different interests and especially if they're outside of medicine like you really want to encourage that it's exactly it's like it's huge for your mental health yeah i i find i do find that especially in med school and i I can't say that the system doesn't feed it right like the whole get your cv and carms and look that you know you have to keep on doing and doing and doing and uh it, it feels like whenever you do things outside of the curriculum it's still medicine and uh and i just uh, I, I worry about that. I worry about that expectation and I worry about, you know, that sometimes that that expectation is self-imposed from the student's perspective, you know? So I do, I do uh, want to make sure that that is a myth that is broken. So for both students and faculty. Yeah. 
And thank you for enforcing that or reinforcing the idea that we should definitely get into things that um, aren't necessarily curriculum based, just yeah. trying to do stuff for our own mental health. Um, so the next question again is pretty broad, but it's our last question before the rapid fire questions, which are a bit more close ended if we're going back to our okay. clinical skills. Okay. Um, but this is going to be a classic, um, I guess, pre-med question that we'd expect on all the interviews. But uh, why medicine? And uh, I'll just leave it there. Why medicine? Um, sure. So I guess uh, for me, it was probably a, a combo of things. One is, uh, you know, I was a science kid, so that always interested me. And uh, I, um, this sounds so corny, but I wanted to help people. Like I actually was going to be a vet when I was really younger. And then for some reason I decided to switch it to humans. And I don't really remember what that was, but um, it really was this sort of the science brain that I seemed to have when I was uh, early on in school and the wanting to help people. It, God, that really does sound very corny. But I, I can't actually make up anything else than that. I didn't really have anybody who was in medicine in my life. So I didn't really have a, a role model to say, I want to be like this person. Um, so it was, uh, it was more internal, I guess. No, no, that's very fair. And I think everyone has their unique paths to get into medicine and their unique interests and why they chose it. Uh, but I guess maybe something more recent is why hematology? Yeah, um, probably a couple of reasons. One is I knew early on, oh, sorry. I'm not paying attention to my dog. Um, I knew early on that I uh, was not a surgeon. That was pretty darn clear. I thought it was cool, but just did not, it was not necessary for me to get that dirty. Um, and I knew I was a special, I needed to be a specialist. I really did not feel comfortable with um, being a generalist and, and knowing, you know, a little bit of a lot of things made me anxious. So I kind of knew early I, I needed to be a specialist. Um, and kids scared me. And so I kind of ended up, you know, internal medicine was sort of a natural thing pretty early on in my um, clinical time. So I think even probably preclinically, I kind of knew I, internal medicine. Actually, when I started medical school, I thought it was going to be a country family doctor. And I'm kind of like the absolute opposite doing this tiny little specialty in downtown Toronto. I have no idea what I was thinking before, but there you go. Um, maybe I watched too much Little House on the Prairie. I think that's what it was. Sad. It's probably sure. it. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. Um, and then hematology, probably for a couple reasons. One is um, I did an elective in my last, in, you know, in fourth year and I did, I knew I would wanted to do medicine. So I did a bunch of different ones and I did oncology and it was probably the only time that I went into an elective with like trepidation. I, everything else was, it's so cool. This is so fun. And this one, I was like, okay, I'm going to be so sad. I'm going to be so depressed. This can be really, really hard but it'll be good for you, you know, like you'll see pathology and you need to toughen up and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I went in pretty nervous and I absolutely loved it immediately. And a part of it was the, 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 just the science stuff. I mean, the oncology world is exploding and has been for the last couple of decades. So it's pretty cool. But um, most of it was the patients and the, that interaction in the clinic um, and the, a very unique relationship with an oncologist, especially in patients who, um, you know, have long-standing diseases. So um, that was just, uh, that's really what sold me. And then, so I went into medicine thinking I was gonna do some kind of oncology and, uh, and then I did hematology early on and I did a lot of molecular bio in my undergrad. And so it kind of all just meshed together and, um, and heme is kind is quite variable um, with respect to how patients present and how they do. So I like that part of it too. But so that's the that one I have a little bit more concrete of an answer than I like helping people. So you know. Yeah, it sounds like you kind of figured it out as you went along, and all the pieces went into place and brought you to where you are today. 
Yeah, I cut probably earlier than most, I have to say. Um, like it sounds, that sounded pretty organic and it was, um, but I, it was also just, you know, kind of lucky I did team very early. I think it's like first couple of months of residency and stuff. So it was also a little bit of luck as to when I had all of my rotation stuff. Yeah, amazing. So thank you for diving into some personal questions with us. We hope the students and listeners got to know you a bit better and we're going to continue um, with some more questions, but this time these will be our rapid fire questions. Okay. So you can answer like with one word, with like however long you want, but they're just like quick little questions. Okay. Um, okay. So we're starting with coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. Black. No sugar. There's okay. no hesitation there at all. Straight up. Yeah. <laughs> no hesitation. None. All right. Um, Starbucks or Timmy's? Timmy's. Totally dark roast only. Okay. So listeners, Questions. if you ever want to get Dr. P a coffee, you know where to go. <laughs> but, okay. Second follow-up question to that. McDonald's or Timmy's? No, McDonald's. It's good yeah, okay. coffee. It's good that's, coffee. That's what I thought. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite color to wear? It better be yellow, but if it's not, it's okay. It's not yellow because I look jaundiced if I wear yellow. Um, I would probably say blue or black. Blue or black. Blue. Yeah. Okay. What is a nickname your parents used to call you? <laughs> Zinaki. That's Gina with a little Aki. It's kind of, it's, it's a Greek thing. Um, what is one of your weirdest quirks? Oh my God. I, I like, I like puzzles like a, like a lot. It's kind of creepy, especially like up at the cottage on a rainy day. It's like, yeah, I can bury myself in puzzles to a very, you know, it's not attractive. It's really not. Ask my husband. He finds it very weird, but yeah. How long can you spend doing puzzles? Hours, hours. It's creepy. It's creepy. I get sort of like totally fixated on finishing it. It's not, it's not a good trait. That's funny. That's a good quarantine activity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, is double dipping at a party ever acceptable? Okay, no. That's just not okay. Doesn't matter how much wine you've had, that's just not okay. And that's pre-COVID not okay. <laughs> Yes, definitely yeah. not okay in COVID. Yeah. You would hope. Um, who is your role model? Um, oh, I don't know. Um, I can say my dad. My dad was my role model. He was, he sort of uh, uh, was a very passionate guy about family and about his work and about his friends and about eating and drinking and about um, trying, you know, really pushing the envelope um, in work and in that kind of stuff. So, and he, you know, he really, education was something that was um, precious to him. And so uh, going through the long, long road that you guys are on and that, uh, we all go through uh, with his support was uh, made made a difference big time. Yeah, that's great to hear that you had a strong support network through this very long journey. Yes, it is long, but it 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 and it never ends. That's the thing. People think that it it never ends. It just keeps on changing and keeps on evolving and keeps on getting better. For sure. That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> There's light at the end of the show. It is, it is. Yes, absolutely. Um, what is one thing you, you'd put on your bucket list? Uh, probably. So I, uh, my bucket list is very much about travel. So it's just about um, how many, you know, countries I can visit for a while there. Like, I was so upset that my passport had to be changed because all of the stamps were not in the same passport anymore. So yes. So I think it's the, it's the travels. It's being able to extend them to the far East is one of the one places that I have not been, uh, been to and, um, the poles, I haven't been to the poles yet. So those are places I'd like to go. 
Yeah, that would be awesome um, in a post-COVID world. Hopefully soon. Yes, I know. I'm dreaming, but yes. Um, how do you deal with Zoom fatigue? Oh my God, I play on my phone during meetings. It's terrible. Oh, oh wait a minute. Who's going to listen to this? I shouldn't say that. Just the students, that. hopefully. Okay. Because <laughs> I really, because, you know, like that every time the eyes get, go down, you know, people are on their phone. Um, I think, yeah, I... I, I probably don't do deal with it very well, honestly, because, you know, a lot of times the Zoom meetings, like you guys don't have any control over your curriculum and I actually have zero control over the meetings and they all just kind of meld together and sometimes you're, you know, you're Zooming for hours back to back and yeah, so I'm not sure I have a great answer to that, I have to say. Pro tip, if you lift up your phone a bit and it looks like you're looking at your screen, you can go on for hours. I know. No one would really pick it up. I actually um, think I do it very well, quite frankly. Except when you know, when Doctor Houston says, "And Gina, what do you think about this?" I'm like, "Oh, what? Me? <laughs> yeah. That's funny." Plot twist. <laughs> Total. Yeah. yeah, it's happened at good good enough times that I should know better by now. But anyway. Yeah. Um, do you prefer texting or calling? Um, you know what? I should say calling, but I kind of like the texting is kind of fun and easy. So my mother would say, stop what you're doing. Call them. Talk to them. This is terrible. She hates it. But uh, um, I kind of think I, I do like the, the, the sort of quickie and the easy to get and you don't have to, uh, you know, everyone's so busy, but sometimes it's nice to be able to just rapid fire text. So I'm going to have to say texting. I just want to say a good middle ground is that if you have like those like texting apps is voice messaging like you send someone a voice note and MedSoc folks, Danielle, Kenny, really anyone who's interactive with me knows how passionate I am about like voice notes because I can multitask and I can just shoot a voice note and they can hear it and they can reply and it's um, I think I've got quite a few MedSoc members to jump on like the voice messaging and like the voice noting train. Ah, Maybe Dr. Okay. P you should try it out. I, I will yeah. try it out. I will try it out. The only thing I'll say about the voice notes is that you can't search anything. So whenever I have to look at something Natter told me, I have to listen to all his voice notes. So <laughs> I will counter I will counter Natter's voice notes with voice to text, which is pretty common in most smartphones. There's no punctuation that you get on that, but you can still search it and then you can still multitask. I'd like to echo Kenny's okay. points. Whenever I get a bunch of voice notes from Natter, I'm like, uh, I have to listen <laughs> to all of these. <laughs> If anything, folks, you guys are happy to hear my voice. <laughs> you haven't seen me in ages, so like, let's all be thankful for what we have. Exactly. That's fair true. enough, fair enough. Sure. Okay. Um, favorite hobby, which I think we already kind of touched on. Yeah. I, I, so I'm going to say uh, hiking. I, hiking and running, I guess, but running is kind of, you know, it depends on your perspective as to whether or not you can call what I do running. So there you go. Fair enough. Um, what is one skill you'd like to learn? I, one skill I'd like to relearn. I used to play the piano when I was a kid, like up until probably, I don't know. Yeah, I'm actually looking at, so my husband keeps on bugging me. He says, let's buy a baby grand piano for like, there's this one spot in our house where it would just look so great. And I'm like, it's an ornamental baby grand piano is just gonna mock me because I haven't played since I was like I don't know grade 10 or something like that and it like it will mock me and so like actually learning relearning how to play the piano would be something that I would like to do. Nice do you think um it would come back to you quickly? I don't know I don't know I was never particularly talented like I I you know I could do it and I could read music and whatever but I just like I was not like I could do what I was told. Like I was a good, I was a good student. I'd do what I was told, and I wasn't really particularly innately talented. So I'm not sure how easy it would come back to me or not. But yeah, maybe you'd be surprised, and you'd still remember like residual things from what you I'm, learned. Maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm not so sure surprised. I'm to dive into oh. ba a baby grand though. I was gonna say I'm so surprised what I remember from like year one medicine. So, like <laughs> muscle memory comes to you. So try it out. It's been a little bit longer than that for me, I have to say. But yeah, 
Uh, our next question was dog or cat person, but I think okay. we already know enough the answer. <laughs> yeah, enough said. Yeah. So we'll move on. Um, what is a clinical exam that you learned in school that you never use in practice? Um, none. Like, I don't think that there's any exam that I've maybe like, what, what was that one, the hall pike maneuver? No, I've even used that one. The one for the vestib the vestibular, the benign positional vertigo. Uh, I like, I think honestly, everything. Cause you know, and especially in my world, because you know, cancer patients can have a lot of variable stuff happen to them. So um, I don't think that there's anything that I haven't used at some point in time, maybe not as well as I may have once in a blue moon, but uh, I don't think that there's anything that I still don't use. Okay. Um, tough question. Is hematology spelled H-A-E or H-E? H-E. That's the Canadian way. The H-A-E is American. But H-E. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. And what is the toughest medical procedure you've ever performed? Uh, oh my gosh. I think the toughest procedure I ever performed, I put in a central line. I remember I was a second year resident and I put in a central line, this is way before we used ultrasounds to put in central lines. So it was a total blind procedure. And the, the patient was standing up as opposed to lying back so that you can actually, so I was actually perched on top of them. She couldn't lie back for, there can't even remember why she couldn't lie back. But so I perched, I'm literally crawling onto her back and putting in a central line this way. So um, yes, that would have been my hardest procedure. And I remember what I do remember, cause I was like a little medicine resident and there was no way I would ever be a surgeon that there is this trauma surgeon who was in the ICU at the time who was like, well, I'm actually impressed with that young thing. I'm like, thank you very much. But uh, yeah, that's probably the toughest one. I've. So, yeah. Nice. That's amazing. That's such a good story. Yeah, I remember that very well because I remember just being like, what am I doing? But uh, yeah. Well, with that, uh, we've concluded all the questions for the evening. Okay. But uh, before we bid, bid each other adieu, um, I wanted to quickly go over the um, favorite, stu uh, favorite stu student story for the month um, or, from, or specifically from the faculty executives. Um, and I just wanted to remind all the students that are listening, uh, from the date of this recording, we only have eight days until the end of term and a well-deserved break, uh, which I think everyone is looking forward to. And from everyone from the faculty after hours podcast, we just wanted to wish you all a very happy holiday and we hope that you all um, are able to uh, see your family and loved ones in one way or another in a safe manner that you guys stay safe and you have fun and remember that we come back and we ride at dawn on January 4th and uh, mm -hmm. be ready for an exciting second semester um, and hopefully with the vaccine coming out soon that we can get back into a new normal and get back into the uh, UFT medicine um, experience that we all know and love and get back to the third floor of Sunnybrook and getting to see your lovely face and all the Yay. other amazing staff at Sunnybrook. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for coming on tonight and recording with us and just taking an hour or so of your time out of your day um, and just chatting with us. Uh, it was my pleasure, my pleasure. And, and uh, let me wish you all happy holidays as well. And uh, may 2021 be kinder and gentler to us all.